to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And today what I wanted to do, you guys, is uh, I want to share with you a few things before we get into the book of Romans. Um, That's why I know Jose is already recording this on the CD. Because uh, some of you know I was uh, blessed to be able to take kind of like the last couple of Sundays off and and hopefully to seek the Lord on different things. And, um, you know, as a church, we really need to be led by the Lord. And so I'm just really asking the Lord to lead us and to guide us as a church. And there are some areas that I know God is stirring up. And what I want to do is I want to ask you guys to pray uh, with us on some decisions that we have to make. And I really covet your prayers. Because as we unite together as a church, then God will lead us together as a church. And we're going to really make a difference, you guys, in this world that we live in. Now, one of the things we're praying about is we're praying about missions and missions. If you might want to take notes or maybe you're listening to the CD might include just evangelism. And so what we're praying about is local as well as global missions. And that's why we're here, right? We're here to go and to preach the gospel. We're here to go and to make disciples And so the board has gotten together and we've decided to allocate a certain percentage of funds to missions. Uh, One of the places we're praying about is the Philippines. We've been been invited to the Philippines. We've been invited to India. We've been invited to Honduras. And we've been invited to Africa. We might have a summer missions trip to Africa. And the reason why I really encourage you guys to pray is because we're going to choose one of these locations and we're really going to ask God to lead us and guide us. And, you know, I don't know if we realize this or not, but, you know, the vision of the church is to be a learning church, a caring church, a worshiping church and a sharing church. And over in Africa, it's one of the you know most um, needy places in the world uh, as far as poverty goes. We know in the world that we live in every single day. 26,000 people die from hunger and hunger-related causes. That's every day. What are we doing about that? What are we doing about every single day, every single hour, all these people dying? Well, the Lord is showing us different things, and I pray that we would make a difference. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but in the world that we live in today, one billion people live on a dollar a day. And that's a crazy thing. I believe that we, this church right here has been blessed. Even though we're not a huge church, we have been blessed. And how are we going to help them? And so pray for us on missions. Another thing that's closely related to that is benevolence. Pray for us. You know, when the Lord first started the church here in Almani in the book of Galatians chapter 1, Paul the apostle wrote and he said, you know, One of the things that we uh, just made an agreement with the the mother church, the head church there in Jerusalem, is that we would never forget the poor. And, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen the homeless people here in Almani, some of them living under the bridge, different things going on around the world. Uh, We really want God to lead us in missions. We really want God to lead us in benevolence. Now, one of the difficulties with benevolence is that you don't want to give 
where you're not supposed to. Because sometimes people go through hard times because they put themselves there and they need to learn something. Other times people go through hard times because they're, they're conniving the church. They're like, hey, you know, I can get some money here. And they go from church to church, right? And we don't want to get in the way of what God's doing. But at the same time, we don't want to you know, throw out the baby with the bathwater and go to the other extreme and say, well, forget it. I'm not going to help the poor. Because one thing I've learned in the Bible is God does want the church to help the poor. And so it's kind of cool. The Lord's putting uh, these things together. If you have any, um, any inclination maybe to be involved in any of these things, please talk to one of us afterwards. Another thing I want to share with you guys for us as a church, and these are just some of the things, some of the visions I think God is giving to us, is uh, we want to begin to pray for you. Um, we pray as a group, you know, for you. But, um, you know, we also want to pray for you uh, individually. And so each week, Lord willing, it depends on, on how much you guys want this or not, we're going to be praying for people up here. Just like we do baby dedications, we're going to be doing like family dedications. We're going to bring families up here and we're going to pray for the whole family in front of the congregation or the, the single people, whatever you do. You don't think that doesn't include you. You just... Let us know and we'll pray for you one Sunday. Or also for the overseers here. We're going to be bringing them up and praying for them. And so Lord willing, every Sunday, every service, we're going to have someone up here and we're going to pray for them. And, you know, we're going to give you more information on that in the newsletter that's coming out. But if you're here today and you want us to pray for you as a family, you as a single precious person, then please, you know, you write down a little prayer request, give us your information, your phone number, and we're going to start doing that for each other. And so I'm really excited about that. And there's so many other things that are going on as a church. And so I just wanted to mention that to you guys this morning, because really this morning, as we get into the book of Romans, it's really uh, more of an introduction than anything else. Lord willing, next week, we're going to go through Romans chapter 1, verses one through 17 but today as we go through our scriptures today we're going to do more of an introduction to the book of romans and i'm so excited about this i'm excited about all the things that the lord is doing and uh, i'm blessed you guys just to be a part of it but anyways this morning we begin the book of romans and um, like i said it's going to be an introduction because the book of Romans, to me, is almost an, an, an intimidating book. You know, I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but the book of Romans is probably, if I can say this, and I, I know it sounds a little funny, but it's almost one of the, if not, you know, the most important book in the Bible. And that's why we're going to take this and we're going to be very careful as we study this book. We're not just going to go through it. I want to encourage you guys as we study the book of Romans for you to begin to study on your own. You know, one of the things that we see even nowadays in the world that we live in and we send our kids to school, isn't it crazy all the homework they get? I mean, it's amazing, huh? But what about the church? You should have homework as well, I believe. And so one of the assignments I want to give you this week is to read the whole book of Romans. Next week, I'm going to ask who did and who didn't. Raise your hand. It'll take you about an hour to read through the book uh, slowly. It'll take you about an hour and a half to read through the book and maybe jot down a few notes. 
But sometime this week, you read through the book of Romans. Why? Because our desire is for you to really learn this book. John Stott said, It is the fullest, plainest, and grandest statement of the gospel in the entire New Testament. Now that says a lot. Think about it. The fullest, grandest, plainest you know, presentation of the gospel in, in the whole New Testament. And it really is. The book of Romans changed Augustine. The book of Romans changed Martin Luther. The book of Romans changed John Wesley. And these men changed history. And that's why for us, it's such a great opportunity to be able to go through this book and to really learn it seriously, you guys. With all our hearts. As a matter of fact, one person said this the book of Romans is different than the other letters of the New Testament in that it's more of a treatise. It's more of a, like a, like almost like a constitution. It's a, almost like a legal document. And you know how it is with legal documents, huh? You have to kind of go over these things with a fine, you know, tooth comb. And that's what we're going to do, you guys, as we go through this book together. This morning, we're going to go through an introductory element of it. And just to give you a background so that next week, when we begin going through the contextual element of it, you will have a better understanding. And we see here in the book of Romans in chapter 1, look what it says in verse 1. It says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, the first thing we see in looking at this and just kind of setting the background to the book of Romans is the author of the book. Paul the Apostle is the writer of this letter to the Romans. And he identifies himself here in verse 1 as, uh, number one, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Number two, uh, one who is called to be an apostle. And the number three, separated to the gospel of God. And as you want to study a letter and as you want to kind of get uh, a better understanding of a letter or of a book, whatever the writing might be, it's always important to know, well, who wrote the book? And here we see the one that wrote the book is Paul the Apostle. And we see here, number one, that he was a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now, the Greek word for bondservant is the word doulos. And it really should be translated a slave. Paul the Apostle wrote the book. We're going to see this man is an amazing man. This man is a man that all men here should want to be like. This Christian man, Paul, is an individual that every single Christian here should want to be like. Why? Because he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And as you see Paul the Apostle, you're going to see this guy has such a heart. He is such a great example for us. You know, when he first got saved, he didn't immediately go out and start preaching. What he did is he went and he got alone with the Lord. And we believe it took nine years for him to really begin his public ministry. We know this for three years, he isolated himself. He went up to the mountains and he studied the Bible. And that is a great thing for us to do as Christians, because as you learn the word, as you spend time with God, then he will speak to you. And he will teach you the gospel and you will know it well. You know, one of the things that we see, unfortunately, in the world that we live in, in the church today, is that it's very wide. Some churches are very big, but they're very shallow. 
See, the book of Romans will really teach us the depths of Christianity. And Paul the Apostle, as he writes this book, he's a great example for us. He says right here, basically, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. I am a bondservant. And that means a slave with no rights of his own. A slave who has come to this slavery voluntarily. You know, even though Paul, from all human lenses, was one of the greatest pastors, missionaries, Christians of all time. He founded numerous churches. We see in the New Testament, he was used by God to save multitudes of people. He still considered himself a bondservant, a slave of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you today, are you a slave of Jesus Christ? Are you here today saying, I've made a decision, I volunteered to be a man, a woman, a Christian who has no rights of their own? Well, that's who Paul was. And that's where it has to begin, you guys. Paul was a bondservant of Jesus Christ. You know, he was used by the Lord in such a mighty way. And I think that is why. And are you here today and saying, Lord, I want to be used by you. Lord, I want to make a difference. Lord, I want you to save my children. Lord, I want you to save my family, my friends, the world. I know some people have that in their heart. How? Well, it's got to begin here. It's got to begin with an understanding that really I have no rights. That I am a bondservant of God. Paul simply did what Jesus told him to do. Is that your life? Is that really just the nuts and bolts of your life? I wake up in the morning. I ask God, what do you want me to do? He tells me what he wants to do me to do. And then I go and I do what God wants me to do. That's the way it should be. I believe we can have a personal relationship with God in which you can go to him and you can ask him for his marching orders. And I believe he will give you the marching orders. And then you go and you march. But the fear is that we are not receiving the marching orders. It'd be like just getting in your car and driving. Don't know where, but you just you think you're doing good because you're driving. That's not the way we're supposed to live our life as a Christian. We got to know where God wants us to go each and every day in every situation, in every relationship. And then we go and we simply do it. You've got to be able to say, God told me to do this. And then you go and you follow him. That's what Paul was. He was a bondservant of Jesus Christ. One of the specifics that God gave him, it says right there in verse 1, a bondservant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle. He was called to be an apostle. Now the truth is, you guys, we're all called to be something. We all have a calling on our life. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter what is going on in your life. You have a calling on your life. Paul right here, we see, was called to be an apostle. And I know for us, when we think about that, it kind of sounds a little bit dramatic. But the truth is, we all have a desired destiny from God. We all do. God has, in one sense, if I could say it this way, a dream for you, a path for you. Paul, the apostle, was called to be an apostle. And what we see, you guys, in a nutshell is, number one, he's calling us out of the world. Be so careful that you don't just go with the flow. 
Be so careful that you don't just there hear the grain. You got to go against the grain of who you are and the flow of this world. See, God is calling us out of the world. That's really the meaning of the word church. Did you know that? You're the church. And the meaning is you're the called out ones. You're called out of the world, but it's kind of interesting. Then you're called back into the world. It's interesting. See, God is calling us to not be spotted by the world or conform to the world or to love this world, lest we be judged with the world. But he's calling us to salvation. But then he calls us back into the world, just as Christ came into the world. See, Christ came back into the world to love the world, to light the way, and to lead us to him. And here's the thing, you guys, and there's nothing less than this. God is calling you to service. God has a calling on your life, and God has saved you to serve somewhere, somehow, some way. And I want to encourage you guys to find out what that is, and then to go and to obey him. If I was to ask you today, number one, are you a bondservant? Are you a slave of God? Would you say yes or no? If I was to ask you too today, what is your calling in life? Would you know? See, God has a calling for us. For Paul, it was an apostle. Now, we don't use that word too much nowadays outside the church. And probably a, a more familiar word in the world today would be an ambassador, a representative. Um, the title apostle refers to one who is sent. And in this case, Paul was sent by Jesus Christ. Now, we know as we read the Bible over in the book of Acts chapter 9 that Jesus appeared to Paul. He saved Paul. He commissioned Paul. And I believe the same is true for your life. When you read the book of Acts chapter 9 and you see the way that Christ appeared to Paul brighter than the sun on the noon day, that the exact same thing is true of your life, that Jesus Christ appeared on your road to Damascus and that he was there brighter than the sun on the noon day and he saved you. And he called you and he commissioned you. And I know we're not worthy, but don't let that stop you. I know we're not able, but don't let that stop you. If we all catch the vision, if we all understand what the Bible teaches, that God has something for us, just like Paul did, then God will use our lives in such a tremendous way. Now, we know as we read the Bible that the Lord Jesus Christ set apart 12 apostles for himself. And we know that one betrayed him. But Paul, the apostle, was the one that then replaced Judas. And therefore, we see that Paul was more than just a missionary. He was personally, prominently, powerfully sent by Jesus Christ. And that means that he bears the unique apostolic authority. That when you read the 13 letters of Paul, that you realize this man was sent by Christ with apostolic authority. And that's why when we read this letter, it's important for us to know that this letter bears Christ's approval. And God help us to really read it with that understanding. 
You know, we see Paul's the one who wrote the letter. He's a bondservant of Jesus Christ. It says there in verse 1, called to be an apostle. And it says right there, separated to the gospel of God. Now, the word separated, it means to mark off from others by boundaries. It means to limit. It means to separate. In a bad sense, it means to exclude as disreputable. But in a good sense, it means here it is to appoint to set apart for some purpose. And the purpose for Paul, and I believe the purpose for all of us, was and always will be the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God, the good news of salvation. How the world we live in today needs to hear that message, you guys. You know, sometimes I'll talk to Ray and he's one of the guys that are leading up the, the evangelism team that goes out there on the streets of Almani. And you know, you think, we think that everybody knows the gospel, but they don't. You know, you go out there and you start sharing with the people on the streets and you share the name of Jesus to them and the simple way of truth. They, they haven't really all heard the pure gospel. And they need to hear. The Bible says, how will they hear if they are not sent? It's so simple. It's so simple. And yet, it's, it's short-circuited, I think, many times in the church. We are slaves. We are slaves. We are ambassadors. We are ambassadors. And we are separated. We are separated to the gospel of God, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the purpose, you guys, for us in life. You know, later we're going to see in Romans chapter 10, the words of Paul, it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. See, that's what it's all about. We're going to study the gospel and we're going to be even better equipped to share the gospel as we study the book of Romans. Now, as we know, Romans was not the first letter written by Paul but we see here, as we read the Bible, it's right after the book of Acts. That means it was placed in the beginning of his 13 letters. Not only because it was the longest, but also because it provides the doctrinal foundation upon which all other epistles are built. And that's why it's so important that we learn this book. And that's why I really encourage you to do your homework. You're going to get an F. I mean, that's just the way it is, man. You know what? You're going to get out of it what you put into it. And as you study the book of Romans, if you go and, you know, I encourage you to read it. It takes about an hour. It will be a blessing. One guy said this, Romans is the most formal of Paul's writings. Again, it's more of a treatise than a letter. And we're going to see that the book of Romans is from a human perspective, uh, divine, and, and we're going to see an absolute masterpiece. If you learn this letter then you will learn the synopsis of Christianity. Now, as far as the date of Romans, we know that Paul wrote the book. He's the author. But the date, in case you're interested, it was written in approximately 57 AD. 
57 AD. And we see that that's 25 years or so after the death of Christ and the salvation of Paul, that man formerly known as Saul. And so he's been a Christian for a long time now. He's really had time to really assimilate this gospel and to give a a great and grand letter and treatise of it. And so he's been a Christian. He's been involved. He's been doing all these things. He writes the letter there in 57 AD. And we believe also that the book of Romans was written by Paul near the end of his third missionary journey. Now, we know as we study the Bible that Paul had the three missionary journeys. And while he was at Corinth, he wrote this letter. We read that in Romans chapter 16, verse 23, where that individual Gaius is mentioned as his host. And we know that Gaius lived in Corinth, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14. It's kind of interesting. In Romans chapter 16, verse 23, another man by the name of Erastus is mentioned. And Erastus, uh, according to archaeological history, we found some uh, archaeology on him. He was mentioned in that archaeological discovery as the commissioner of public works in Corinth. And so Romans was written from Corinth towards the end of Paul's third missionary journey in the year 57 A.D. Now, we don't know for sure how the book of Romans or how the church at Rome was planted You know, you talk to the Catholic Church and they'll tell you that Peter planted the church. But there is no historical evidence for that. It is simply church tradition. We know that Paul didn't plant the church. As a matter of fact, he had never visited the church of Rome. At the same time, we know that as Paul was writing to the church in Rome, that this was a church that he wanted to go to very bad. You know, again, we don't know how the church was planted. Maybe it was some of the converts from the day of Pentecost. Maybe it was some of the converts from the ministry of Paul. We don't know, but we do know this, that it became one of the most important churches. And again, although Paul didn't plant the church, he wanted to visit the church. He wanted to go there really bad. Look what it says in verse 13 of chapter 1. He says, Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Paul really wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go there and to share the gospel and to teach them. He wanted to have fruit there in that church as well. But until now... He says, I haven't been able to get there. I've been hindered. And we see that Paul really wanted to go to Rome. Now, why is that? Why do you think Paul wanted to go to Rome so bad? Well, it's because we know Rome was one of the most important cities in all the world, right? You know, Paul, we know, eventually did see Rome. It was three years later. But as you study the Bible, you realize it wasn't the way that he wanted to go. He wanted to go in a, you know, a, a nice, you know, comfortable, I'm going to go and take my homies with me and we're going to go and we're going to share you know, in a simple way, just like we always do. We're going to go to the synagogue and God's going to do this great work and touch the church. But we know that when Paul eventually did go, he went as a prisoner. Because when you put the dots together, you connect the dots, you look at the chronology of the calendar, you find that in 57 AD, Paul headed towards Jerusalem. But when he got to Jerusalem, the guys there, the head guys, they said, hey, everybody's 
saying smack about you. This is what you need to do. You need to go in the temple. You need to, you know, support these guys, you know. Uh, show them that you're Jewish. And so Paul did the best that he could. But the Jews trumped up false charges against him. And Paul the apostle was arrested there in Jerusalem. As he was arrested, he was then brought up to Caesarea. And he was there for two years as a prisoner. One day they said, hey, Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem? We can have the whole trial thing. We'll settle everything. And Paul said, listen, I know I'm not going to get a fair trial here with the Jews in Jerusalem. And so he said, I appeal to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, he had that right. And so they said, okay, if you've appealed to Caesar, then Caesar, you shall go. And so a Roman centurion, a soldier was assigned to him. Paul was chained to the soldier and Paul was taken to Rome as a prisoner. And so here's the man that wants to go to Rome. He wants to share. And God says, this is the way I'll take you there. And it's kind of interesting. You know, we have these goals in our life. We have these desires and whatever they might be. But we got to make sure that we don't, you know, say, hey, God, you know, meet my goal under my conditions. God says, no, my plan's bigger and better than you. And we see that as God works out his plan in our life, we may not like all the way he does things and the details that he does things. But let me tell you something. He does things. Let that be an encouragement to you. Please. I see it every single day. I see it in the people that I taught to. And, you know, I'm thinking, man, I would never want this for my son or my daughter or the situation over here. But I see what God is doing and the illnesses and the things that we hear from the doctors. You know, just the other day I heard from the doctors. My mom actually told me that she's got this thing going on in her body. And they're saying it might be cancer. And I just found out, you know, uh, just the other day. And so, Lord... You know, what are you going to do? All I know is this, that God is doing something. And I want to encourage you because a lot of times what happens is we find ourselves in these hot spots and we forget that. And that's why the Bible says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing, knowing, not feeling, knowing. That the testing of your faith produces endurance, patience. It's necessary. And you're praising God. Lord, I thank you for the situation and the difficulty I find myself in. Because I know, Lord God, that there's purpose for this pain. And you're going to see the amazing thing that God does. Paul the Apostle got arrested. He's thinking, no, I want to go to Rome. Says God says, I'm taking you there. It's going to be free. I'll tell you what, I'll pay for it, man. <laughs> And he ends up going to Rome and God takes him there. You know, another thing, when you think about that, Rome, again, was the greatest city on the planet. It was the greatest kingdom, man. And I see there the wisdom of God. You know, we don't, you know, check out our brains at the door, you guys. We don't. We're like, okay, we want the whole world to be saved. Where can I go? What do you want me to do? And here Paul says, I want, I want Rome, God. And we see as we close the book of Acts that Paul the Apostle was there for two years. And he was under house arrest, but no one was prohibited to come and to see him and to visit him. And he was able to share the gospel in such a tremendous way there in the book of Rome, in the book of Acts. Now, the city of Rome itself was founded in 753 B.C., 
And so by the time of Paul, it was the greatest city in the world with over a million people living there. Some say maybe even four million people. We know if you look at verse 8 of this chapter that the church was a great church. It was well known. Look what it says in verse 8. It says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith, notice, is spoken of throughout the whole world. The church in Rome was well known. God was doing a great work there. It had been established for several years, clearly, by the time of this letter. And so there were numerous believers there. And if you read uh, Romans chapter 16, when you guys do your homework, watch, you're going to see when you get to chapter 16, that they were not only numerous believers, but they were meeting in numerous places in the area. And so it kind of gives you guys a little bit of background. Again, hopefully stirring up your hunger for this book. Hopefully stirring up your hunger for God as we study this book. We see the author. We see the setting, the date. We see in the book of Romans, we're going to see now the theme and the purpose of the book. Now, as far as what it's all about in a nutshell, the book of Romans is all about salvation, really justification. How we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. How you guys, as we come to the book of Romans, we're going to know more than we've ever known that we are forgiven. That we are forgiven. You know, psychologists tell us that the reason people are all, you know, jacked up, man, the reason that people struggle so much today is because of the guilt, the guilt they carry. And you might be here today and you might find yourself struggling emotionally. And really, you're not healthy emotionally. And you're not healthy sometimes spiritually. And you're not even healthy sometimes physically. And you know what? A lot of times, if you were to just trace that back, Lord, what is the cause, the root cause of all this? You would find it's because you haven't really come to the grips, come to grips with the fact that you have been forgiven. And that load, you're still carrying it, even though you're a Christian. That was the case with Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a monk. And he said, if ever anyone could be saved by being a monk in monkery, he said, I would be the one. He did everything he could, all the works. He would spend literally hours in the confessional booth. Think about that. And the priest would say, please leave. You've been here for too long now. And But he just knew there's sin. There's these things that I do. He didn't have that freedom. But then one day he's reading through the Bible. He's reading Galatians. He's reading Romans. He's reading that the just shall live by faith. And Martin Luther was set free. And I think that we need to come to grips with the forgiveness that God gives to us as well. You know, being a Christian is such an awesome thing, you guys. It really is. Being a Christian has uh, the blood of Christ all over us. And I want to encourage you guys to know that if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, then He truly has washed away all your sins, past, present, and future. You know, there's a story that Martin Luther one night went to sleep and he was troubled about his sin. And in the dream, he saw an angel standing by a blackboard. And at the top of the blackboard was Luther's name. 
And the angel began to write in chalk all of Luther's sins. And as he was writing all his sins, the, the dream says that it was just filling the blackboard. And so Luther shuddered in despair, feeling that his sins were so many that he could never be forgiven. And you know, sometimes, and I don't know for sure, maybe I'm wrong, but sometimes I think that there are people here that they think their sins can never be forgiven. The things that they've done are just too bad. But you need to know what Martin Luther discovered. Because as he was there and he had that dream, it says that suddenly in his dream, he saw a pierced hand writing above the list these words, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And as Luther Luther gazed in amazement, the blood then flowed from the wounded hand and it washed the record clean. And we're going to see that as we study the book of Romans. It's an amazing thing. It's almost hard to believe. But we need to believe this. I remember I had a little card and when I was studying a while back about the books of the Bible, when it came to the book of Romans, the little card, it just said debt paid in full. And that's the theme of the book of Romans, debt paid in full. Now, for some of you here, that might really resonate a little more. Why? Because uh, so many of us, so many Americans are in debt, huh? Statistics tell us that 43% of Americans spend more than they make. Think about that. And that's why the average credit card debt today in America, and this is just credit card, is $8,000. And so imagine how cool it would be. You can relate to this. If one day someone shows up on your doorstep and says, I want to pay all of your debt in full, what would you say? Well, you would say in full? Yeah, well, you'd be a fool not to ask that person to pay that debt in full. That would be awesome. But that's what Jesus has done for us spiritually. He suffered. He died. He paid the punishment that we deserved. And when he died, he said, it is finished. Literally, it was a banking term. He said, to telestai, debt paid in full. And you will never owe a penny because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he's done for us. And Romans reveals that as Jesus Christ saves our soul. As a matter of fact, we read over here. Look what it says in verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. We will understand that statement. You know, when you look at the book of Romans, you'll see Jesus in Romans. We see Christ in Romans. In Romans, we see the divinity and humanity of Christ. We're going to see that. In Romans, we see him as the object of our faith, as our savior, our deliverer. 
we see him as the second Adam whose righteousness and substitutionary death provide salvation to all who place their faith in him. You know, it's been said that you can see Christ in any book of the Bible, and that's so true. In the Old Testament, you see Christ prophesied. In the Gospels, you see him manifested. In the book of Revelation, you see him revealed in his glory. But in the epistles, you see him explained. And we're going to see even ever more so clearly that as we study the book of Romans, we're going to see Christ crystal clear. And that's one of the reasons I'm very excited about this because, you know, one of my New Year's goals was to know Christ more. And so I'm blessed in being able to study this. And I hope and pray that as we study Romans together, that more than anything, you would see Jesus Christ. Because I know this, you guys, that if you see Jesus Christ, your life will change. That's my prayer. You will see not only yourself free and forgiven, but you will see yourself where you really are. You know, there's a few ways in looking at the book of Romans as far as looking at the survey and how you divide this whole thing. You know, if you were to look at it kind of like from a bird's eye view, something we often see in the Pauline epistles is that part of it is doctrinal and then part of it is, is duty. The first 11 chapters are what you believe and then the last you know, chapters 12 through 16 are how you behave. The first part is really salvation, and then the last part is sanctification. You know, as we get into the book of Romans, and we begin to get into the middle portion of chapter 1, one of the things Paul is going to establish is sin. How everyone is guilty. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. The whole world is guilty. It's called sin. But then he goes on to salvation. How is someone saved, really? And he gets technical. This is what I like. He gets theological. We move from sin then to salvation. After that is sanctification. We're going to see as we study the book of Romans, one of the things in chapter 7 is this. I don't know if you guys can identify with this, but I know that I can, that there is a struggle going on inside of me. There is a war going on inside of me. And there's a part of us that wants to do good, right? But it's like, man, the things that you want to do, you don't do. And the things that you don't want to do, it seems like those are the things you practice, huh? How many of you have ever been there, man? Well, in the book of Romans, we're going to see how to overcome. You see, we move from sin to salvation to sanctification by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to see after that, when God deals with the nation of Israel, it's a lesson in sovereignty, Chapters 9 through 11, how God is on the throne, how God has a plan. It's an awesome section. And then we close the book with service. Looking at all these different things, sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, and then in service. And God will show you guys what he wants you to do. You know, I pray that if God wants you to get involved in the church per se, that you would, because we need more laborers. But I know that for others of you here, it's different. I mean, I know some of you here are, are taking care of your kids. And that's just the ministry that you're to focus on now. Some of you here may be, might be taking care of your parents. And that is the ministry that God has for you. But whatever it is, you guys, whatever God is calling you to do, 
I pray that we would go and that we would obey him with all of our hearts and with all of our life. Such an exciting book, man. And I just pray that as we study this book together, that we would be drawn closer to Jesus Christ. Something I mentioned earlier today, we're going to have communion today. And um, I just want to give you guys an opportunity, man, to meet with the Lord today, to really meet with Him. As we partake of communion together, uh, it is a special time. It really is. It's a time for us to stop and, and to examine our life and to ask God by His Holy Spirit to shed light on our hearts and to see if there's anything in us, Lord, that is not right. And if He shows you anything, then you begin to surrender it to Him. Right now, you make those decisions, those declarations by faith. God, I give this to you. I'm sorry, Lord. You confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But also, I want to give you guys an opportunity. And, and, I, and, I, and I, think, I think you can kind of understand what I'm talking about. When I, when I mentioned earlier that some of you here are in ICU. You're not at home like that. That you're not in just some normal hospital room. That you are in ICU. There's an intensive care unit for you. You're going through struggles, difficulties. And and, and maybe it's not you per se, but maybe just someone in your life that you love has brought you to this point of being in an ICU. And you need prayer then today I want to ask you to take a step of faith. And like the woman who had a flow of blood, she went through the crowd and, and she said, if I could just lay hold of Christ's garment by faith, I know I'll be healed. And so if you're here today and you're an ICU and you're whatever it might be, you need that, that touch. Then today what I want you to do is I want you to come forward as we have communion, you have communion up here with us. We're going to dim the lights and we're going to give you communion up here. You come forward because God is here. I believe God is here to really meet your need. So you come. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much, Father, that you are here. And Lord, I know there are so many that are, are, are just going through very, very trying times, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would meet us here as, as we come to you by faith. And this simple prayer to a sovereign God. Lord, we ask that you just you heal us, Lord. That you would intervene in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones, Lord. Lord, I love you. I thank you. Please, Lord, bless these beautiful, beautiful people, Lord. I pray, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.